This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security. This is the Intego Mac Podcast for Thursday, June 16th, 2022. In this week's Intego Mac Podcast, we'll look at how Apple's planned obsolescence means that many devices won't be compatible with this fall's new operating systems, even devices that are being sold right now. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Good morning, Josh. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Kirk? I'm doing just fine. In the second part of this podcast, we're going to talk about planned obsolescence, which is something that you really like to talk about. But first, we have a little bit of news. Um, The first one that kind of stands out to me is that the European Union has reached an agreement to require that Apple use USB-C on their iPhone and, well, any other device, uh, AirPods as well. I think all of the iPads are currently USB-C. So it's really only these last couple of laggards. Right. This is something that I I think for a long time, I, I assumed that maybe the reason why Apple wasn't moving to USB-C was something to do with the thinness of the connector. But uh, it turns out, uh, once I actually looked <laughs> at the size difference, there's really not as big of a difference in size uh, between those connectors as I thought there was. And it is important from the perspective of data synchronization speed and a number of other things. It really is time, I think, for Apple to move to USB-C. I don't like the idea of mandating a specific port. I think that's kind of weird. But at the same time, it's in this case, it's probably a good thing for consumers that Apple move to USB-C. Well, we knew it was going to happen. I'm willing to wager that it will happen with the next iPhone. Uh, what worries me about this is, well, you have to use USB-C. You can't use USB-D when that comes along. And there has to be some flexibility. And are we going to end up with a a forked system when USB-D comes along that some devices will use that and others won't? Exactly. Yeah. And and is there going to be a, a problem with moving to the new USB standard if it changes the shape of the port, right? That's That would be the concern. Because if USB-D is the same size and shape and it's backwards compatible with C, then they can still say, oh yeah, well, we're compliant with the law, right? But if USB-D is, say, even thinner because, you know, devices are getting thinner, they might want to do that. Um, if that's not the same shape, it's not going to be compatible anymore, then you might have a problem with the law in some countries. So that could be a problem. My guess is that this connector is, I wouldn't say final, like it's never going to change, but it's reached a point where it doesn't need to change. And we can have USB and Thunderbolt using the same connector. So it looks like it's in for the long term. Uh, I'll be happy to get rid of my USB-A cables. And I'll link to my article on the Intigomac Security blog about USB-C cables, how confusing they are to figure out whether they can transport data, whether they can transport power, etc. This won't improve things, but it will at least mean that they'll all have the same plug at both ends. Another European bit of news, Germany has launched an antitrust investigation over app tracking transparency. Essentially, they're saying that Apple is requiring that third-party apps can't track you, but they're not making the same requirement for their own apps. And I think this was Facebook's argument early on when Apple announced this, this could be one of these things that goes nowhere. It could be one of these things that ends up being problematic. It's hard to know, but it's fair to say that Apple is often accused of having one rule for them and one rule for the others. Yeah. And and of course, 
we're supposed to believe as, as Apple faithful customers that Apple's not going to do anything untoward with your data, right? They're going to completely respect your privacy at all times. Of course, in, in Apple's ads, like we talked about recently, you've got data brokers who are looking over your shoulder at every bit of data. And of course, Apple's not one of them. Apple's the good guys. They're saving you from those bad guys. Speaking of Apple looking over your shoulder, I spotted something which made me wonder what Apple's going to do with the data they have about you. So Apple announced something called Apple Pay Later, which is what's called a BNPL thing, a buy now, pay later plan. I've bought several things here through a company called Klarna, British company, I believe, where you get three months interest free. So for instance, I bought a Sonos soundbar at the end of last year. And you pay one third up front, then you pay another third in a month, another third in two months. The merchant pays a small fee. The company itself takes on the risk. Uh, There's no real credit check. I think what they do is they look at the amount of credit available on your credit card because that's all they can find out. And this is practical if you want to buy something that's a little bit expensive, but you don't have the money right away. So Apple Pay Later, it's not going to be three months. It's going to be six weeks. It's going to be four payments over six weeks, which is an odd frequency. And Apple is going to underwrite this with their own subsidiary, which is a financial services company. Hint, hint, Apple will be a bank in a couple of years. (laughs) But Apple will use Apple IDs to help detect fraud. Now, here's why this bothers me. They know my Apple ID. They know what I purchased in the iTunes store, in the App Store, etc. That's minimal. But the data that they might have on some of my credit cards, which I've put on my devices in Apple Wallet, where Apple actually gets transaction information, even if I don't pay with Apple Pay. So on my personal account, I have a MasterCard debit card and a Visa credit card. Uh, Neither of these show transactions in the Wallet app. However, I have an American Express card, both for personal and for my business, and the Wallet app does display transactions. And I actually like this because I get a notification when any transaction's been billed, which can alert me in case there's fraud. But is Apple using this information to determine whether I'm a good credit risk for Apple Pay later? Yeah, this is kind of interesting that Apple could be using some of that additional data and and acting like one of those looking over your shoulder vultures after all. So uh, this is something that's worth following up on, I think, in the future. Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to look at planned obsolescence and Apple devices. Will your Apple device be able to run this fall's operating systems? Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users since 1997, and our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected in 2022. Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection, Net Barrier for powerful inbound and outbound firewall security, Personal Backup will keep your important files safe from ransomware, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Monterey and the latest Apple Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. When you're ready to buy, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intego.com. That's podcast.intego.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Intego Mac Podcast listeners. Intego, world-class protection and utility software for Mac users. Made by the Mac security experts. 
Okay, we want to talk about planned obsolescence, and in particular, the fact that Apple has dropped a number of devices from the compatibility lists of this year's operating systems. If you look at the iPhone, for example, iOS 16 drops the iPhone 6S, 6S Plus, the first iPhone SE, the iPhone 7, and the 7 Plus. Now, what's interesting about that is that these devices have been compatible since, like, iOS 10 or 9 or something. And um, I'll, we'll link to an article I have on the Intego Mac Security blog where I made a chart. And I started with iOS 12. I didn't want to go back too far. But you'll see that there was this straight line of devices, 13, 14, and 15, that were all compatible. And then all of a sudden, all these devices drop off the compatibility list. The problem isn't so much that they're old. The problem is that the iPhone 7 was sold as the cheaper iPhone until just a few years ago. And you could have an iPhone that you bought essentially three years ago, uh, which will be out of date when iOS 16 comes out. It doesn't mean the iPhone 7 was first manufactured seven years ago. It was manufactured a few years before that. But we'll see as we go through the different devices, the Macs and the iPads and the Apple Watch, that this is a common theme across the platforms that they're removing compatibility from devices that you could have bought around three years ago. This is something that I've always been really interested in, is watching what Apple does with compatibility with the new versions of their operating systems with all the existing hardware, and, and seeing which generations of operating system they choose to drop older hardware. Sometimes, like, like you were talking about, iOS 13, 14, and 15 all supported the same hardware. So what Apple has been doing interestingly, is they've been kind of releasing like one or two occasional security updates still for iOS 12 for the really old devices that are still running that operating system. And then only 15 basically has been getting updated to this point. We don't actually know what Apple's going to do now that 16 is coming out. They haven't really said whether they're going to treat iOS 15 like they treated iOS 12 and still release security updates for those devices that are no longer supported with 16. We do know what Apple said when iOS 15 came out, and I quote, iOS may now offer a choice between two software update versions in the settings app. You can update to the latest version of iOS 15 as soon as it's released for the latest features and the most complete set of security updates, or continue on iOS 14 and get important security updates for a period of time. How long was that period of time, Josh? <laughs> Well, that's what's so interesting about this. Apple still has that statement, by the way, on their iOS 15 page on their website. That period of time was really only like 36 days. That's how long between when iOS 15 was released and the final, apparently final version of iOS 14, which was 14.8.1. 36 days. That's it. And, and there have been serious vulnerabilities in the wild exploited vulnerabilities since then that have been patched for 15 and no further updates whatsoever for 14. So this seems like, I don't know if Apple was intending to maybe release updates for longer for 14 and they just sort of dropped the ball. I don't know if they forgot. I don't know if they <laughs> didn't hire enough like engineers to do it. I don't know what happened. They still claim this on their website, but they clearly have not been releasing 14 updates. Well, to be fair, 36 days is technically a period of time. It is technically a period of time, yes. Yes, it is. It's one day more than five weeks. And uh, we did some number crunching earlier today. 77% of people currently are running iOS 15 or later. 
and 16.6% are running iOS 14 or later. So one-sixth of users, this is just for the iPhone, uh, iPad stats are pretty similar. One-sixth of users are still on iOS 14 and not getting security updates, except for those first 36 days, that period of time. This data comes from StatCounter, by the way. So what they're looking at is when people browse to a website, what operating system their browser reports that they're using. Right. And it's not it's not 100% reliable because maybe some people are on VPNs and that information is not getting transferred or whatever. But I think it gives a good picture of how these operating systems are used. You, you go back to iOS 12. And there is a much smaller number. iOS 12 is interesting because it was a cutoff point. Mm -hmm. Uh, A number of devices could run iOS 12 and couldn't run anything later, 13, 14, 15, including the 5S, the 6, the 6 Plus, and the iPod Touch 6th generation, which is stuck at iOS 12. And now the iPod Touch 7th generation, which was sold until, let me check, two months ago, can't run iOS 16 either. Yeah, this is actually really interesting to see what happened here. So with the iPod Touch 6th generation, when iOS 13 was about to come out, Apple discontinued that iPod Touch. And four months later, they came out with a new iOS operating system. This was iOS 13 that completely cut off support for a product that you could have bought four months earlier. And they're doing exactly the same thing this year. The timing, I don't know if it's coincidental or or if it's intentional, but Apple just discontinued the iPod Touch 7th gen. So no, there's no more iPod Touches being sold. But exactly four months later, they're going to, presumably, they're going to be releasing the new operating system in September, like usual. Uh, and iOS 16 is not going to support a product that was just sold four months ago. I don't think that that four-month period is specific to anything other than the fact that they've updated the iPod Touch at this particular time of the year several times. They don't update it generally when a new iPhone comes out. The fall is new iPhone, new Macs, new iPads, etc. But there's also iPads in the spring. The iPhone SE has come out both times in the spring. So I think this is just a calendar thing. It's not, I don't read anything malicious. But what we find is interesting is we were trying to figure out what would be the hardware limitations, if any, that would prevent these devices not being able to use iOS 16. It could be the amount of RAM, it could be the processor, it could be the amount of storage, which actually is pretty important. And I think the difference with iOS 12 and 13 was the base storage available on certain devices. We couldn't actually figure it out. I don't think Apple's going to tell us. It could be a sub-processor on the chip. It could be a lot of things. But if we look at the iPad, Um, The iPad 5th generation that has been able to run iOS 12 and then iPadOS 13 and 14, 15 and will be able to run 16 has the same processor as the iPhone 7, which won't be able to run iOS 16. So we can't narrow down to it's definitely this. There was a period, was it iOS 12 and 13, where the operating system went to 64 bits, so certain older devices that were 32 bits couldn't run? So you do have a a sort of a pivot point like that that is really hardware specific. But here, if the same processor can run iPadOS but not iOS, then there's something else that is preventing the device from running the operating system. Now, I'm team, there must be a reason, your team planned obsolescence, Apple wants to sell devices. I think both elements come into play here. Uh, Obviously, they want to sell more devices. But I think 
There's got to be some reasons, and I wish Apple would tell us. Yeah, as a matter of fact, we were just looking before the show, you know, we, we were t comparing what hardware is in some of the models that were dropped versus some of the models that they're still keeping. And if you're comparing, for example, like they dropped the iPhone 7 and 7 Plus, that was kind of a surprise to me. I expected them to probably drop the 6S this year with iOS 16, but they also dropped the 7 and 7 Plus, which have a, a newer generation of processor. And which were also sold until September 2019. So that means that if you bought one at the end of its cycle, you'll have a three-year-old phone, which can't run the new operating system. Exactly. The other thing that's kind of interesting about that is if you compare that to the iPad fifth generation, it actually has an older processor. There doesn't seem to be a lot of logic. At least we can't figure it out. Like Kirk was saying, it's if there is some specific hardware reason why Apple's choosing to allow certain devices and not others, it's really not clear exactly what hardware differences they're looking at. One of the things that set us on this quest is the fact that one of the marquee features in iPadOS and macOS uh, this year is Stage Manager, which is this windowing system available for the Mac and for the iPad. And it's only available for M1 iPads, which is only iPad Pro models and the iPad Air fifth generation. It won't run on two currently sold iPads, the iPad without modifier ninth generation and the iPad mini sixth generation. I really didn't expect it to show up on the iPad mini because of the smaller display, but it would still probably be usable. There's been a lot of people wondering about this, and Craig Federighi came out and said, well, there's reasons why there's RAM, there's storage, we want the experience to be good, and on certain devices it wouldn't be fast enough, and I can accept that. But making this the marquee feature of a new operating system and saying that there's only pretty much the most expensive iPad models, which are the iPad Pro and the iPad Air, it kind of seems like they're pushing people to update their iPads in order to use this feature. Yeah, and, and to be fair, you know, each version of iOS, uh, there are some other features that maybe are not as well known that don't become available for older versions of the hardware. So for example, um, 9to5Mac has has a good article titled, Some iOS 16 Features Require an iPhone XS or Newer. Here they are. So there's a bunch of things that older hardware won't necessarily get. So this specifically would be the iPhone 8 and 8 Plus and the 10 that don't get some of these features. And those are things including live text in videos, the new dictation experience where you can fluidly move between voice and touch, and a number of other things as well. In my opinion, this has something to do with the machine learning element of the processor, because things like live text, uh, things like dictation are d definitely processor intensive. The iPhone 11 and later can use live captions. And for the iPhone 13, there is foreground blur in portrait photos, which is actually a processor-intensive thing or a GPU-intensive thing, and improve quality when recording in cinematic mode. But this isn't new. There have always been a handful of features. And I seem to remember that when Apple introduced 3D uh, buildings in the Maps app, that there was a similar cutoff of certain devices that couldn't do it. So my argument is, okay, so Apple does this already for some features. So therefore, why not still have iOS 16 available for, say, the iPhone 7? It should be able to run it just fine because you, you're able to run it with an older processor on the iPad 5th generation, for example. So why not still support the iPhone 7? But again, it might not just be the processor. It might be something else. 
It could have something to do with the amount of RAM, uh, although we looked at a number of devices and they look similar. It could have something to do with the amount of storage. The iPhone 7 shipped with 32 gigs initially, well, a minimum of 32 gigs. It was upgraded after a while to get to 64 because it remained Apple's cheaper phone for a while. So maybe older devices that could have 32 gigs can't run it because there's not enough room. Would you want Apple to say, well, here's iOS 16, but your device can't do it because you were too cheap to pay for extra storage? Well, but again, like the iPad 5th gen also came with 32 as a minimum. So I I really feel like, and also remember, I'm somebody who is running the current version of Mac OS on a 2007 iMac, right? Yes. So I'm definitely coming from a very different perspective, probably for most people. I, I, I care less about performance and a lot more about security. And I think that's exactly the opposite perspective of Apple engineers, right? They they want to make sure you have the best experience. So they want performance to be optimal. And, you know, they don't want any suboptimal experiences on any of their supported hardware. And so they don't care about security when it comes to that perspective. They're happy to cut off security updates for certain hardware if it means that you're going to get the right user experience that they want you to have. Yeah. So let's talk about the Mac briefly, because the Mac is very different. In my article, I've got a table showing Catalina Big Sur Monterey Ventura. And for example, in Catalina, the late 2012 iMac was compatible. In Big Sur, that moved to mid-2014. In Monterey, late 2015. In Ventura, 2017 or newer. Now, granted, 2017, that's, you know, five years old, so that's not too bad. But each year, it has moved from one generation to another. And you see the same as you go through the MacBook Air and the MacBook Pro, et cetera. There are two exceptions. One is that the iMac Pro is supported on all of these because there's only been the one. Um, The Mac Studio, which is new, is only on Ventura. And the Mac Pro, we had the 2013 Mac Pro trash can, which was sold until 2019. Let's not forget. Mm -hmm. So you could have a Mac Pro now that you bought at the end of the cycle with three years of Apple Care that will run out just when Ventura comes out, and you won't be able to put Ventura. You will be able to use the 2019 Mac Pro. Oh, it's been three years already since that last Mac Pro. With the Mac, it's even more staggered than it was with the iPhone. And and another note on that Mac Pro, the, the late 2013 model that was still sold until 2019, that was a really expensive Mac. Not that much. I bought one. Okay. I bought the base model. It was more expensive than an iMac, yes, but I bought one. I had previously had a cheese grater Mac Pro before that, so it wasn't that expensive. The new Mac Pro, the new new and improved cheese grater Mac Pro is the one that starts at $5,000 or something like that and goes up to $50,000. Okay, well, I guess at least from the perspective that you were buying 2013 hardware in 2019. Exactly. It was kind of still a little bit expensive (laughs) to be buying such old hardware at that point. They didn't reduce the price. They reduced the price once at one point in the cycle, but never after that. Mm -hmm. So you were getting 2013 hardware six years later at the kind of 2014 price, it was a bit uncomfortable. They had to keep that Mac Pro there to have a Mac Pro. Finally, the most egregious to me is dropping the Apple Watch Series 3. Now, the Apple Watch Series 3 is $200. It's cheap. It's several generations old. We're going to have the Apple Watch 8 coming out this year, but it's still being sold. It will be sold until the day that they announce the new Apple Watch this fall. 
telling someone that, okay, we just bought a new, we just bought an Apple Watch Series 3 for our kids for $200 this summer. And then all of a sudden you can't get the new operating system. I guess if you're buying the cheapest watch, you're not buying for features anyway. And to me, there's less of a worry about security updates, but I know you disagree with that. <laughs> yeah, of course I disagree with that. So this, I 100% agree with you. This is like the most egregious of all because this is a device that's literally going to be sold and then immediately not be able to get the latest update. That kind of blows my mind. I'm really shocked that Apple is doing that. Now, maybe, maybe what Apple is going to do is like they've kind of done again with like iOS 12. Maybe they'll do the same thing with watchOS 8 as well as iOS 15. Maybe those will become the new uh, versions that will still get some security updates, although maybe not everything will get patched like Apple has typically been doing. But um, they haven't said one way or another, either about watchOS 8 or about iOS 15. And that, that really makes me uncomfortable. Now, okay, to be fair, probably... Most people are not really doing much web browsing and things like that on their watch. On watchOS, you can't open Safari, for example, when you go to the home screen, desktop, whatever you want to call it, where you've got the list of all of the different apps. There's no Safari icon there. However, if somebody sends you a link and a message, you can still load a web page in many cases, as, as long as I, I think it's probably if the web page supports reader mode. Um, you can still view a web page, essentially. So that means that WebKit, which is one of the things that frequently has vulnerabilities that are found and exploited, needs to continue to get security updates in order for your watch to be safe, right? It's still potentially exploitable. And so therefore, in my opinion, Apple should still be releasing at least some minimal security updates, specifically for watchOS 8 on the Apple Watch Series 3, since that's not going to be able to upgrade to the latest watchOS. Okay, just before we finish, there is a hardware difference between the Apple Watch Series 3 and the models that come later. Do you know what it is? No, I don't. It's the last one at the original 38 and 42 millimeter size. Oh, okay. I doubt that makes a big difference because the current version of watchOS works on all the different sizes, but that is a, a, a line in the sand there. The watches after that have been larger. Okay. <laughs> that doesn't seem like a really big hardware difference. But... No, I don't think so. Okay. <laughs> Until next week, Josh, stay secure. All right, stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to follow us in Apple Podcasts or subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software, intego.com. Intego.com.